0: Hey, this is Tom Zimney, and uh, when I'm not making films about music and hanging out with Dave buying records that we shouldn't be buying, uh, I'm listening to Jukebox Graduates. So uh, join me and uh, talk to you guys soon.
1: Thank you so much, Mr. Zimney. That was Tom Zimney, director of The Searcher, the HBO documentary on Elvis running currently. And uh, I'm Eugene Edwards. And I'm Dave Rayburn. Welcome to the Jukebox Graduate. Yes. Okay, now, so we are taking a few minutes before our in-studio guest arrives. Uh, we have, coming from Nashville, Tennessee, although originally from Australia, mm-hmm. uh the wonderful Ruby Boots, whose album "Don't Talk About It," we spoke, we did talk about a couple of months ago, <laughs> um, and so we are looking forward to having a little conversation with her. She's very been very generous with her time. Um, so before she arrives, we just want to uh, take care of uh, a few things, Dave. So, Gene, speaking of the searcher. oh 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 i'm a searcher (laughs) what'd you find so so dig this so my itch is i was on the road that week that we we talked about it and of course it was going to premiere on hbo that saturday night and of like and this is so rare that i actually had that saturday night off and i'm on the road and what are the odds unlikeliest thing right and so i'm going to be at a hotel in st louis a saturday night off. So I'm excited. I'm actually going to get to watch this. Cuz by the way, if I'm at home, I'm not, you know, I don't have television. So I don't have HBO. So saturday night rolls around. I'm really excited. And the hotel doesn't have HBO.
0: <laughs> and you already had 3 plus hours blocked out. It has
1: Showtime. <laughs> it has stars. It has everything except for HBO. So uh, I'm like I'm sitting there just the one guy's like I can't, I I can't believe I talked about this thing for almost, you know, the 15, 20 minutes and oh, I'm not going to see it. So I still haven't seen it.
0: So okay. I'm, I'm the searcher. I'm just, you know what? My point is, I'm just like Elvis. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Now we need to get you back out on the road so you can maybe watch it somewhere <laughs> that, 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 okay, <laughs> next week. I'm on it. Tom, I'm sorry. I will see it. I promise I'll
1: see it. Uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure Mr. Zimney is just personally heartbroken that I haven't seen it. He's a little disappointed, but uh yeah, I'll, I'll keep that. That, that hurt. So. so how is it? It's fantastic. It <laughs> yeah. is so good. I've heard great things. I heard great th- Like all of Willie's guys, because we, we were doing shows with Willie Nelson. Yeah. So they were all excited to see it, too. Like everyone. And I was like, the- oh, don't tell me they weren't able to see it either. No, so you guys were, were just no, all at the bar it. that no, night. No, no, no,
0: no. <laughs> they saw it. No, they were fine. <laughs> no, they were fine. It's just-
1: <laughs> so anyway. Um, oh, and real quick. So the last episode. Yeah. I, was, I taped my portion from my hotel room in yes. Omaha. The next day, uh went to the venue. Uh, it was I can't remember the name of the arena now, but we played some arena. And there was this electronics store next door to the arena, and it had a very crudely hand-painted sign. Something like, hey, Willie, we have vintage amps, come on in, or something like that. It was uh-huh. like an electronics store. Well, it's hard to describe, because um, you really, I couldn't tell what was for sale and what wasn't. And it was this big labyrinth of gear, mostly it, all old gear. Some great stuff, some weird stuff, and there were some records for sale, and there were anvil cases for sale, and there was a studio in the back, and and then you would, like, inside the studio, there was gear, and maybe some of that was for sale, too. It was a little hard to understand, but <laughs> I go in there and hear the unmistakable, unmistakable sound of Mickey Raphael playing harmonica, mm-hmm. the guy that plays for Willie, right? It's like, in one note, you know exactly who you're hearing. And and our friend Kevin Smith, is all, and he, there was an upright bass, so he's playing. So there's Mickey and Kevin just jamming, right? And Mickey eventually bought the microphone, by the way. He was trying out some <laughs> crazy little microphone. Um, and we had a blast. And uh, Kevin bought some records. I could tell there's already a stack of, of Lou Rawls <laughs> and Buck Owens records that were already set aside. Yeah. I thought, well, yeah, Kevin got the good stuff, as, as always. <laughs> um, but it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's one of those just kind of, it's a relatively average road story, believe it or not. In terms of was like, well, what do you guys do out there? Sometimes if we just see a weird electronic store, we in. wander over. Sure. Yeah, And Mitch went over there and he got some congas. He bought some congas. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And I don't remember the name of the store. And it's just as well because you just, if you're in Omaha and you pass by this big building with a crude hand-painted sign, that's probably Like one of those Fat Albert signs, you know, like from the junkie. Very thing, yeah. much. Very, very, very much so. Exactly. <laughs> so that's a little road story. So
0: I was kind of curious. What, what happens on the road when you guys buy stuff? Is that is that is that a process trying to get it back? It can be. Yeah. Um there's different oh, you know, fortunately a lot of places will just ship it. Just
1: okay, I bought it. Oh, okay, can you just yeah. here's the address, can you ship it home? Uh other times you just kind of you just carry it with you and you just figure it out. It yeah. depends on what you're buying, you know. Um but or I mean if it's something that maybe if it fits under the bus in the bay with luggage, sure, then there sure. you go. Um Yeah, that's kinda I guess that's kinda I, I tend not to Buy a lot of stuff when I'm on the road, probably because I don't want to deal with the hauling, and I don't want more stuff in my house. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That's really the number one reason, probably. Um, so that, and then we were all excited. Uh, the, the guy and the guys in Willie's band, we were all uh, they were excited about that the book, the Astral Weeks, book yeah. by Ryan Walsh, mm-hmm. which which I finished since we last spoke. Oh yeah, and, okay. and I'm just just it was just riveting, and I can't wait to talk to Ryan about. It. In fact, he was in Los Angeles the week that I was, was out a- of town. I think he did a book soup appearance. Yeah, he did. And I didn't even know about it. No, well, he, I'm, I didn't, I'm sorry, I forgot to tell him. <laughs> because, he, because he's, oh, yeah, I mean, like, I'm hanging out with friends tonight in Koreatown. Yeah. We're just going to talk. I said, I would love to, but I'm in Dubuque, you know. Um, but uh, so, Ryan, sorry I missed you, but we'll definitely have you on the show because I'm sure there's a, a lot of things to go over. That book was just yeah. riveting, though. It was a real page turner, which it's not easy to craft something like that. Mm-hmm. But, but uh, I really got into it. And yeah, and the guys, they were, they'd all heard about the book. And they're like, how is it? And I was excited to kind of turn them on to that. Excellent. I do Indeed. need to finish mine still. That's right. Um, and then so also before Ruby gets here course uh one of your national your personal national holidays just <laughs> went by, time just went by this past weekend um and as i understand uh, a good deal of local record stores managed to sell off the rest of their record store day inventory from 2015 uh so <laughs> record store day
0: has come and gone yes how'd it go for you oh it was great had a great time mm-hmm. uh went out with a buddy of mine we hit up three shops starting at uh, six in the morning Fingerprints in Long Beach, which is my tradition, mm-hmm. got pretty much everything there. But i I wanted to just continue the trek. We had a couple other shops. Um, among the the cool things I picked up that I was really excited about was the first um, U.S. vinyl issue of Eric Clapton's soundtrack for Rush. Oh, which was the the first appearance of Tears in Heaven. Right, some great instrumental stuff. Uh, a couple unreleased songs, otherwise. Uh, there's a Steve Earle and the Dukes live record, uh, live at the Continental, which was nice to pick up. That was actually a tough one to come across because uh, I did not find that at fingerprints. Um, I asked and they didn't know anything about it and I got everything else. I thought, well, I'll look for it at the next shop. Mm -hmm. And, uh, in the meantime, I'm in line, uh, buying stuff there and Tom, Tom Zimney wanted me to pick up the Neil Young for him. So I did. Right. I took a picture of it while I was in line and sent it to him just to confirm, Hey, we got you covered. (laughs) Uh <laughs> do, do you have it hold up a newspaper like it was a hostage no, photo? <laughs> no, but um to, to go forward into the story here, okay. I'm looking for that Steve Earl, right? Yeah and uh, at the next store. At the next store. What was the next store? Uh Port of Sound in Cosa Mesa. Okay. And they had everything in these little boxes, so it's easy to get to all alphabetical. Good. Whereas fingerprints is all over the store, you gotta yeah. run around. Yeah. But uh in any case, um we get to Port of Sound okay. and it's all alphabetical in these little boxes, and I get in there and I go to the E's. And I don't see it, but I see this one just now I didn't remember the name of this live album that Steve Earl was putting out. I didn't have it put to memory. So I just saw this like neon image on the cover when I pulled this record out. I'm like, wait a minute. It doesn't have Steve's face on it. Doesn't say Steve Earl on it. Doesn't say anything. It's just a uh, well, I guess it's neon says Continental Club. Um Okay, I found it. Great. Think, I think I think I saw that I, at Fingerprints, <laughs> and then I went back and on my phone, and I looked, and there's the image of the... Uh, it was Neil, behind. It was, it was behind the Neil Young record the whole it was in, time. It was in front of me at Fingerprints, <laughs> and I could have got it. But anyway, I like to spread the love and go from store to you know store. What, that's kind of the idea anyway, isn't it? So, yeah. But the, the coolest story, I think, is... Um, going to the third shop out in Temecula of all places, uh, Spindle's Music Shack. I went to Temecula? Yeah. The, Why? Well, the, the guys that own that, um, the, the couple, they oh, they used them. to run the Tape and Record Room in Long Beach, which was the the first, well, I worked there for a brief time mm-hmm. uh, in my high school years. Okay. And that's where I was finding all my, uh, all my rare Springsteen stuff back in the day. I like rare and stuff, you avoided the B word. Exactly. Oh, okay. But uh, so we get there and we're just, I'm buying some used stuff. And uh, I go to check out, and then they have this—they um, have this big spool up by the counter with a sign on it mm-hmm. for record store day only. If you make a purchase, you get to make a guess how many forty-fives are stacked on this big wooden spool. That's about—I don't know—so it's the two record deep version of how many jelly beans are in this. It's, it's exactly what All it right. is. And my buddy guessed. Way high, like five hundred something. I'm like no, and I have the the experience of filling one of those those vintage oh. uh, uh, 45 packs for my grandkids with 50 discs. Inside Last time we saw them, so I was trying to gauge. Well, what's the thickness of 50? And I try to eyeball uh-huh. it. I said, you got to guess. Uh, three twenty eight, and they look at me with amazement, like I just you know <laughs> drew the golden ticket, and, they, and and they said, well, you know, the deal is if you get within ten, it's yours. It's three thirty-one, and I'm like, no, what? You're You're, you're, just—you did? They gave you that stack of forty-five? Yes, three hundred and thirty-one records. I had not planned on coming home with. You got to start doing carnival work. We'll post the image of this online. But yeah, I said you're What's pulling it? my what you're a, pulling my chain here. Strange superhero power to have, right? Dave. I don't know how this is going to apply. Well, what, so, uh, one of our listeners like commented on the picture, saying like there was any doubt, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, so I said you're pulling my chain. You guys, this written down somewhere, and they open up the, the the till and they pull out this piece of paper. It says three thirty one. It's oh Jesus, <laughs> so, three twenty eight.
1: Do you do you tend to round to the nearest eighth in everything or how? Uh, no, <laughs> I you-
0: I don't know. I just pulled it out.
1: That's great. I mean, I'm impressed. Yeah, not 3:30. So, that was not 325. Fun. With, okay. so kind of 3:25. You think with okay, so that's am unfair that's how the tail ends. end of <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's how the tail end of my record store day thing went. But there was actually one interesting item. They always have tchotchke items that they give out. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be a poster, it could be a button, whatever. Uh, Derek Smalls of Spinal Tap fame, uh-huh. he has a new album out, and he had a uh, a seven inch that he was going to give out as a freebie item. Yes. So as they're coming through the line, I'm like, sorry, it's Derek Smalls. So the seven inch refers to the record. Yes. Yes, okay. Just make sure. Yes. Yeah, not not the cucumber. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're coming around with the basket of the tchotchke items and uh and I see the, the seven inch sleeve in there. Oh yeah. I won't I'd like one of those, please. Okay, and I get it. And uh this is a little light. There's no record inside. <laughs> it's uh now you guys may be familiar with spinal tap and the misadventures that they go through. Stonehead! You know, one year they made a promotional item. Uh they're trying to produce a spinal tap calendar. And what ended up shipping out was this white box with a sticker that says Spinal Tap Calendar, whatever year it was, you open it up and inside is a colander. Yes, there. And they said there was a there was a mix up at the printers. <laughs> oh my god. So goodness. with this one, no seven inch inside. Mm-hmm. But uh, on the back, there's a uh, the B side is an unreleased track. Okay, and there's a little uh, web address to go to to go download that. So you go to that address, which is at the Record Store Day website. I believe it's recordstoreday.com forward slash Derek Smalls. And there's an explanation as to what happened um, in the rush to make the deadline for record store day, but to mostly save money. They, they, they went with a company that makes uh, vinyl siding. And, uh, and I guess their production um, guidelines had them make the record with the hole closer to the outer edge. So it was unplayable. And so oh, the bandits still can't get anything right.
1: Um, I love that, D- Derek. Is It has the age-appropriate wig now. Have you noticed? Yeah. It, yeah <laughs> that, I mean, I do appreciate that his hair is... Like, the wig is... Uh, yeah. Well done, Harry Shearer. Yeah. As always, well very done. Very classic. You know, it's funny you mentioned the movie, though, because um, my wife and daughter went thrift store shopping this past weekend, and my wife found the DVD of... This is Spinal Tap. So uh, she she grabbed a copy. And then she says, oh, I thought... She goes, I thought maybe, you know, our daughter would get a kick out of this. Oh. And... uh, I said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought, no, I don't think she would because she hasn't seen The Last Waltz. She hasn't seen Let It Be. She hasn't seen the the kind of the collective canon of movies and rock documentaries that this thing was making fun of in the first place, right? So it, it was those things. at first it was like, well, how, you know, what's too young to watch? What's the right age to watch Spinal Tap? And it's not really a matter of age. It's a matter of how, how, how many documentaries, music documentaries have you seen. Right. That that's actually going to define when you're ready to see this as Spinal Tap. I mean, there's silliness that happens in the movie that you don't need to be a rock fan or rock dog fan to get. But um, yeah, I think we're going to have to. I realize, oh my god, we're going to have to do a little rockumentary film festival before we're ready to really see the ultimate movie that still frighteningly gets everything just right. Have you seen the uh, the four plus hour uh, director's cut of Spinal Tap? I've seen portions of it, of course. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, Luke has. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, I should make sure We are actually recording today's episode at Shark Tank Studios. I want to thank my buddy Luke Adams uh, thank for, you, Luke. Uh, for ha- having us and, and, and uh, helming the engineering and Now, later in the show, we'll I'll give the Instagram account uh, when we uh, do the uh, thank yous at the end, uh, You know, after we're done speaking with Ruby.
0: Okay.
1: And she's here. Please, welcome to the Jukebox Graduate. Ruby Boots, welcome Ruby. There's only two. There's like two other people in the room, right. so that's, that's all we got. In the end. So Ruby, welcome. Thank you. Welcome here to uh, to Los Angeles. You just and and you flew in last night from Nashville. Is that correct? Yes. And how'd that go?
2: Uh, long and arduous. <laughs> <laughs> I got stuck at LAX for a few hours extra than what I'd hoped, but I'm here now. <gasps>
1: oh, that's terrible.
2: It's that's L.A. Terrible. Apparently. <laughs> um. Yeah, that happens. You know. you know,
1: it's it's always yeah. It's and so uh, and how long are you in town? Uh,
2: uh, just a couple of days. I'm playing at the Bootleg Theater Yay. tonight, and right. um, stagecoach on the weekend.
1: Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, how much time have you spent in LA uh, previously?
2: Very little. Very little. Most of the time, I'd stay out at my in my at my friend's house in Venice Beach. So, oh, okay. I Usually, LA to Venice Beach, back to LAX. You know. Right. Um. So this is my first time hanging out in the Silver Lake.
1: Oh, you're gonna mm-hmm. love it. You know,
2: Eagle Rock, mm-hmm. kind of. It, Atwood Village. It's
1: at Water Village. At Water Village. In, in mm. fact, uh, speaking of Atwater Village, I don't know if you know this, but this album, "Don't Talk About It," uh-huh. which I'm holding a beautiful vinyl copy, was mastered just a few blocks. Down Oh the street. no way! Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Uh, so, if you have any complaints, you just go and kick the <laughs> door down, and, or or have somebody explain to us what the mastering process is. But yeah, Magic Garden, Brian Lucy. He's right around the
2: Brian's corner. Brian's great. I uh, as soon as I heard Brian's master, I knew that I was uh, in the right place. It's a
1: great sounding album. Thank you. Great sounding album. That when the, yeah uh, Dave Dave's the one who turned me on to it uh, because through because Amp uh, Bloodshot and Amp got us an early copy of this. So um, when I heard. Sorry, I keep going off mic because I keep setting the record down. Uh, it's it, the the, not, the kickoff track. It's so cruel comes in, and I, I guess I wasn't anticipating that. And when that came in, I just thought, oh, more of this, please. It was just this really sexy swagger to the whole thing vocal first but just the swing of the whole thing just has kind of a just kind of a nastiness to it and yeah, i thought, oh, yeah. and i thought maybe that was the tone of the whole record and of course we we get into later tracks and there's a lot more going out uh or going on about here the title track, obviously, don't talk about it. Um The Don't Break My Heart Twice is heartbreaking yeah. and, and beautiful. I mean, yeah. what a great ballad singer you are as well. So mm-hmm. it would go from that scratchy rock voice to this is really, really heart rendering vocal. Um
0: Kudos.
2: I'm blushing. Kudos, Kudo. it's, really, really, <laughs> it's very hard to make me blush, but I'm, I'm totally there.
0: <laughs> so the, the first two tracks on the album are a, a bit grittier than what people are used to hearing from you. Was that a purposeful thing from, to separate the, the previous album, like what's changed since then?
2: Yeah, absolutely. That was probably maybe the top thing that I wanted to achieve was to really harness what I wanted to do on this record mm-hmm. and and to really separate the two because... as much as I do like my first record (laughs) it's a great record well thank you I'm not going to be (laughs) self-deprecating we won't won't
1: let you get away with that
2: (laughs) but uh, there were I guess you know I was having a chat to um, a friend of mine who hasn't yet made a record in Nashville just a couple of days ago and she was saying you know I kind of want to do this and but I can't, I'm focusing on more on what I, I don't want to do, and, and I don't feel like that's the best place to start. And I said, well, in fact, that's actually where I started. Yeah, you right. know. And I think when you can make a really a clear line in the sand of what you don't want to do because it didn't, didn't necessarily serve your soul mm. to its fullest effect on the last record, then it, then it can really uncover some things that might actually serve your soul, mm. you know, and, and yeah. that, that nastiness and that grittiness and that, that – you know, that full pelt thing. Yeah. I was like, that's what I want. You know? <laughs> yeah. And, and, the, and
1: the, but, I mean, the, the the drum sound and the guitar tones, everything matches. So it's not as though this rock voice was just plomped down right. out of character. The the entire production, the entire thought, it's very complete on yeah. the songs. Um, and so uh, we're just going to jump around here a little bit. But in terms of your background musically. hmm were you a rock girl? Were you a country girl? I mean, what's, or was it all happening all at once? I don't
2: know. Yeah, I think it was, you know, because I started playing music quite late in my early-ish 20s. Uh-huh. And uh, I listened to a lot of, uh, I guess, old 60s folk. Okay. You know, Joan Byers, mm-hmm. Bob Dylan, if you could call him, I guess. Oh, it was certainly. Back then, you know, Absolutely. back then, even though it's totally evolved. But um. And then, but also was totally in love with Janis Joplin, and that you know that pull between those kinds of artists were just how do I you know feel like I can service all that inside myself and meet in the middle, you know? Mm -hmm. And it was like, well, I'll just do some of everything, then I guess. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And eventually,
1: it starts to cross over. yeah, Yeah,
2: kind of because I mean the album is still like. A little bit here and a little bit there, like you mentioned, and and it's and and I feel like that it just takes me to a place where it's like, well, I just have to serve the song, you know?
1: Right, and also we get the idea after the course of the, of the whole album that we get an idea of the entire person. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you tell us about that? Not just the song, but also just the performance of yeah. of, of, of I Am a Woman.
2: I am a woman. Okay, um, so I am a woman is a song that I wrote in 2016 with a dear friend of mine um Vicky Thorne from the Waifs. Mm-hmm. And I had the concept of writing this this woman strong kind of woman yet vulnerable woman song, you mm-hmm. know, and 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 showcasing you know, everything that women encompass, you mm-hmm. know. And it was very much driven through the uh, the pain and the fury that I was initially feeling that it was like I felt powerless over you know, who I was as a woman when I was hearing a lot of uh, vulgar talk, I guess, about people being able to treat women's bodies the way they see No, sort are you speaking it, like you know? just
1: things you overhear in a cafe or mostly in the media? In media. In media,
2: yeah, media okay. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, it really affects, it really, it can really, aff- no doubt, affect someone when someone else feels that they have agency over. Your body, because they're speaking about women at large, uh-huh. you know. So, um, that uh, that had a profound effect on me, you know. And and it has had a prof- i mean, that's not the first time I've heard it, but I guess it's just it was building, you know. And that's right. As I was coming into my 30s, I'm coming into more of my own and mm-hmm. my own confidence and and you know, the way I view the world. And so, I mean, this is a long explanation, but it's a loaded question. No, 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 no,
1: I mean, for it, to, <laughs> I want you to. Tell us as much about it as possible because, again, this is about getting the full person. And if you can get it in the space of one song that just has a few verses, that's a magic trick right there. So um, you've been overhearing things.
2: Yeah, you know, like, well, it was kind of not necessarily overhearing, but really slammed in my face and and everyone's faces, you know. And I I think it was, you know, I'm not going to... Um, Been around the bush. It was through the the 2016 presidential election. And I think you know when I I understand that any campaign is gonna is gonna totally bring things to the surface to, um, you know, uh, yeah. discourage you know people's characters as such. But yeah. at the same time, it was something that really couldn't be ignored in terms of you know using, uh, I guess rape culture language sure. if you wanted to really go there I mean that's what it is if you're mm-hmm. going to call a spade a spade mm-hmm. but regardless you know it was like something that made me feel like no that's not who I am as a woman that's not I'm not this thing that gets to be treated the way someone else de- de- defines mm-hmm. the way that women need to be treated you know right. or can be at any time so I you know I tried to write write a song that wasn't fueled by anger and and retort in that Respect, because I just don't think it serves anything necessarily. You know,
1: you, you, in terms of uh, if it was too strident, it would just uh, turn people away. You
2: think? Yeah, I or, think it needs to be uh, somehow bring people in to an understanding. I mean, right. the converted are already converted. You know, like because
1: uh, otherwise, it's not a conversation.
2: Well, it's not a conversation. Mm-hmm. That's correct. And yeah. and if you're if you're responding with an angry retort, then the converted are going to be like, yeah, we agree, right. but you know it's not an open plate or in a safe space for someone else to walk into that right. you know and it's sad that, it, that these songs are still having to be written you mm-hmm. know that we get that
1: yeah oh, you know there's a case to be made though um, that the arts ends up being the thing that helps us become more humane to each other um, in this case obviously one of the great things that a movie can do or a novel or a song can do is is to uh, get some empathy out of someone uh writing it in the voice of a character that's unlike the listener and the listener might get a glimpse of oh oh that's how that feels for that person i never thought of it that way Mm -hmm. yeah um and so i like what you're saying here was like Mm. the idea was to kind of just hey could you just think about it that's right perspective
2: just just think about it from a different angle you know that's all i'm asking Mm -hmm. you know but at the same time it's and it still has this Wonderful ability, I feel for the people that already see it that way to go. Oh, yeah, this makes me feel good, you know. Mm-hmm. So there's, it's multi layered and it's, it's, it has a, a different kind of effect on on different people.
0: I yeah. think in, in your live setting now, you're playing that stripped down solo. Is just that correct? Just me and
2: a voice. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and that just gives it far more attention. And do you, yeah. do you notice the effect that the that oh, it has yeah. on the people like yeah. instantly?
2: Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's um, I kind of never really thought I'd get there, I don't know why, but just to hear silence in – I mean, I was playing – oh, I can't can't remember the name of the, the venue in Austin because I did like 11 shows in four days at South <laughs> by Southwest, <laughs> sure. so excuse me, but it was my favourite – oh, the Continental Club. Oh. Yeah. We
1: were talking about it earlier. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Great,
2: great. And the crowd was like on fire, you know, like just – Screaming and yelling and hollering It was so much fun And it came to I Am A Woman And it's, it, mind you It's like 11 o'clock at night And everyone's firing You know <laughs> right, <laughs> like, right, right. No one wants it like a downbeat song At that point You know But then the whole crowd Is like dead silent I am a river
3: Why swim upstream, when you can drift down with ease, I am a giver, I'll give you all No shame in the taking. Take every part of me.
2: Like you can't hear a whisper; it's a pin oh, drop thing, and great. and the holler that you get after, and it's like great, you know, like you can still be totally rock and roll because you're doing something brave, you know, oh, and, sure. and pushing mm. a limit, you yeah. know. So it feels really good to be able to like stretch the It's a funny thing because for there.
1: years as a performer you're just trying to get any sort of reaction. Silence would be
4: right <laughs> just the worst thing. For <laughs> it sure. you not what you're,
2: so you're aiming run. for.
1: It. Now you're at a point yeah where it's a good thing.
2: Yeah, well in that particular instance because people are engaged and they're they're Mm -hmm. connecting and uh, i think yeah as an artist you just really want to connect with with people on the fans it's really if you have that then you can be content you know
0: yeah you know at that very moment they're hanging on every word
2: for sure and you know they're listening they're listening Mm. you know and they're really getting it you know and i feel i can see people crying at almost every show during that moment and it's incredible so i'm i'm really glad that it's out there yeah thanks for asking that that's Great
1: great. great story so now As we can tell from your accent.
2: I'm English. You're clearly from South America. (laughs) I'm from New Zealand. You (laughs) say it.
1: No, no. Perth. Yes. Perth, Australia, which I've not been to. I uh, went, I don't know. I've been to the, I have to think about this. I've been the South and the Eastern part. That's right. So um, what's Perth like for you growing up there? Was it just, I mean, you've got nothing else to compare to, obviously, but- but how 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 would you think Perth shaped who you were by the time you started getting into performing music, which was, like you said, in your early 20s? Yeah. But it was, I mean, how would you be different had you not grown up in Perth?
2: You know, it's I mean, that's a Catch-22 question because I'm not sure if it was so much the city as the, the series of events that I grew up through. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we are talking about the city, um, you know... Uh, I guess I hate the cold, so, you know, because I grew up in the sun, like, (laughs) and I love the Indian Ocean, but, uh, so I always feel landlocked when I'm not by the sea, but, um, you know, I, uh, didn't have a lot of frills growing up, you mm-hmm. know, and, and we grew up in community housing and then yeah. I was out of home very early at the, the age of 14. So, 14, okay. You know, it was kind of almost circumstantial, the the things I took from growing up rather than the city that I lived in. But I when, see. you know, it cut past the era of growing up, when I did actually start to play music, which was in my mid-20s, mm-hmm. I, um, I was working out at sea on a purling boat.
1: A purling boat.
2: Yes. And what, yeah. what
1: what what duty did you have on the purling boat?
2: Well, I used to take care of the pearl shells. So we would lift them out of cages, mm-hmm. out of the water, and scrub all the ropes, and then. Put them through a high water pressure machine. There'd be three of us on each small boat each day, and then we'd go back to the houseboat and then go back out to sea. Oh, see, the, the
1: pressuring machine – this fascinates you. The pressure <laughs> machine is on the smaller boat or on the on the, the house the larger – We houseboat?
2: live on the houseboat, and we'd take a bunch of smaller boats out to different sections of the farm, and right. there'd be three on a boat. And one person would be at one end picking up the, the cages out of the uh, uh, water, the mm-hmm. seawater, and then they'd slit, slide it through a high-pressure water machine – to take all the weed off and then there'd be two people, one on each side of a table, chipping with like a flat chisel, Mm -hmm. just keeping the lips of the pearl shell clean. I see. Um, And some of these pearl shells can get to the size of a dish plate, you know, Um, and there'd be six in a cage and they were heavy, you know, (laughs) and we'd lift a hundred of them in a row, you know, so it was three times a day each, you know, so it was pretty backbreaking, you know, and- I eventually hurt my back so bad that I couldn't work out there, which was great because I started actually taking my music to open mic stages around the world. Oh, yeah. Is that so, where you started
0: playing guitar around that time?
2: Yeah, on the pelling boats in Exmouth. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been
0: what, mid late twenties or t- mid late teens rather?
2: I think I was around uh twenty two to twenty three. Oh, okay, actually. okay. Yes. Yeah, and did so. someone
1: happen to have a guitar on the boat and to pass yeah. to pass time,
2: <laughs> Yeah, absolutely so I actually got a friend of mine, a job out there and he he played guitar and, and acoustic guitar and we were just sitting on the back of the deck mm-hmm. on the houseboat one night it was a beautiful night and we were just seeing like Pearl Jam songs and, you know, crowded house songs oh, and
0: <laughs> <Did> Pearl Jam, <laughs> no pun intended.
2: <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. No, I'm going to take credit. That was totally intended. That was planned. Good for
1: you. Yes. Yes. And our beloved Neil Finn.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know, and just great, you know, songs that I loved at the time. And mm-hmm. he said, man, you know, like you can sing. And I said, no, <laughs> you know, he said, no, let's keep, you know, keep, playing and he was really enjoying himself and you know there wasn't much out much to do out there (laughs) so we kind of ended up hanging on the back deck and singing songs cover songs each night and eventually I played a couple of open mic nights and then busked around the UK went over the UK and you know Perth when I came back to actually start playing shows solo shows in Perth you know back to the uh, initial question it was uh, so isolated that you know, I think it really gave me this platform to be terrible. <laughs> like,
1: yes, yeah, <laughs> which is very important.
2: Uh, yeah.
1: yeah, you know, very very important. Yeah, yeah, we have to go out and bomb a lot. Yeah, you and, know, <laughs> and and this is before anybody would just. Have footage of it and post it. Totally, yeah, yeah. three hours later. Yeah,
2: yeah. Because th- they just and and regardless of what era it was in, they they wouldn't even know that I was doing That's it. True. You know, right. <laughs> which is because it wasn't. Doesn't you know? It's not. Wasn't really. It's, the culture's grown now, but it wasn't a music city or anything right. like that. So, right. it was a really strong foundation for me to grow as a very early baby artist. That's you know? great.
0: Mm. So why Nashville?
2: Nashville's like a really easy choice for me. Like I've traveled all over the world and um, for both music and non-music related Mm -hmm. uh, reasons. But, you know, I just got to Nashville in 2012 for a holiday and um, I was going to do a trip around the South and it was like the first real holiday I'd had in years. Mm -hmm. And I just got there and I just felt this energy and then started digging into the city because I loved the energy so much. And I kept going back twice a year and eventually, you know, moved there because there's a community there that's doing what I wanted to to do, do. you know. Um, Reality bites when you get there sometimes, but, you know, it's like, okay, you can actually see that it's tangible and Mm -hmm. you could possibly get there, you know.
0: So the new record was not recorded in Nashville. No. Where where was it recorded at? Dallas. Dallas. And why was that?
2: Well, you know, I had started playing with one of my friends, Chase McGillis, uh, in Nashville. He was on bass, and he was connected with this crew of people and now band called the Texas Gentlemen. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of they, – they're an incredible backing band for all kinds of artists, but they're their own band as well. Okay. And the Texas Gents were coming through to do a warm-up show in Nashville – so, they could continue through on this big orange tour bus, which <laughs> the tour bus is still totally enamour me because we don't have them in Australia because we fly everywhere. Oh, you know? yeah, I
1: suppose. So, yeah, um, you're right, there, there aren't that many. Uh, yeah,
2: yeah, no, yeah, no, you don't get them back in Australia. Right. We're in a 12 seater or nothing. You know? I do remember, yeah, it was a bit of a search. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had to get a couple. So, and they were, you know, rolling in this big orange 12 seater bus that I think. Could have had a very easily big cloud of smoke rolling out the back window, you know. And uh, they were doing this warm-up gig for Chris Christopherson. They were backing him up at Newport Folk Festival. So I I got up and sang me and Bobby McGee at the warm-up gig. And um, I got to know them and and specifically Bo, who is one of the ringleaders. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, he started listening to songs and wanted to produce the record. And I thought it was a great fit. So... I went out to his studio in Dallas.
1: Dallas is a great city.
2: It is. I love Dallas.
1: Dallas, Fort Worth, Fort Worth even more. Um, and so, uh, so obviously, so Bo ends up he ends up being the, the producer. Yeah. And um, tell us about the song selection as we were talking about earlier about representing all of you. Um, how many songs did you have ready at that point, or mm. and and how what was Bo's role in in kind of helping select the songs.
2: Yeah, Bo played a really big role there. And I feel like I really needed a producer that would help me, you know, pull the right pieces of the collection together and make the puzzle, you mm-hmm. know, into a perfect yeah, square. Yeah, into one picture. Yeah, You know, exactly. and, and, um, and I had about 40 songs, so... it's mm. a lot. Yeah, it is. and But I really feel like I need to write a lot of songs to be able to see... W- you know, to figure out what I want to say, you know, because I think it it's such an interesting uh, thing that, that an artist kind of starts falling into this album cycle, you know, and you have all this time to write the first songs, of batch of uh-huh. songs, and then yeah. you have nine months to write the second record, exactly, and, yeah. and you're like, well, I've only been touring. Well, you know? the, the <laughs> trick is for
1: your second album not to be full of traveling songs
2: well yeah i mean that is your life <laughs> exactly you know? so it's like you know paul might we have this great uh artist who is just this iconic songwriter in australia called paul kelly oh, and yeah. he has this oh. song called every fucking city looks the same right. you know? and <laughs> exactly. i'm just like i love you paul but you've already written the pinnacle like, right. you
1: know <laughs> so out of 40 you guys come down to 10 which i also yeah. really really appreciate i've really been into Concise albums lately, yeah. And you know, and they just... Um, and Did you have? Were of these songs? Were there any surprises to you, like ones that boasted, we're definitely doing this song? And you thought really
0: that one?
2: Uh, actually, he helped me be brave enough to put "I Am a Woman" oh. onto the record. I really wanted it on there, but I was still, I guess, around the writing period. I'm I'm quite crippled with self doubt, so mm-hmm. you know, you can I can get a little blinded during that period, which yeah. is why having Bo around to kind of say, no, no, this is really going to be one of the backbones. Interesting, because a producer could
1: serve as just this human bridge between you
2: mm-hmm. and the music
1: and the audience. Sure, I mean, that oh, yeah, way, sure. like, you know, he yeah, I mean, really could. He's just like, yeah, I, I think that's a little too much. Or he's like, no, no, that's definitely on the record and that's yeah. going to help that conversation along for you sure know.
2: and he's he's really smart in that respect and really personable because he'll he won't judge you but he will soak up you know parts of your personality and sure. he'll see them in the songs and mm-hmm. go well this is actually you know part of your personality that's why you wrote this you mm. just haven't put it in the mix yet because maybe i just couldn't hear it within the batch of 10 songs mm-hmm. that, you know if sonically yeah so you know he could see some have the vision for that there and stuff like that like I mean, there was we did 13 in the studio and then whittled it down to uh, 10. Oh, That's so, great. That's yeah. highly
0: efficient. Yeah. How yeah. much give and take was involved in, uh, should a song be made more into a ballad or maybe with a, more of a stronger, stiff beat? Yeah. W- was there any any sort of like negotiation on these songs?
2: With us and the song. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it was like, um, particularly in Don't Break My Heart Twice, you know, we started with, the first track we recorded was It's So Cruel, and off the bat, it was like, okay, this is going to be really What a great fun. way to establish the <laughs> <sessions>. yeah. <laughs> but it's, you know, and, and a, a lot of the songs, because we had gotten together and shaped all the arrangements, Bo and I acoustically, mm-hmm. and, you know, like, just tweaked a lot of things, and he helped me write a bridge here or there as well, and... You know, don't talk about it. Was written, the finished in the studio. You mm-hmm. know, Nikki and I had just penned the chorus around her kitchen table two days before I was leaving for Dallas. Oh. You know, so I'm like writing melodies for verses in my head incessantly. You know, mm, yeah. and we two weeks into tracking, like Bo goes to see his son, and 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 you know he's on the plane on the way back, and he's saying like have you got the words for that bridge yet? And the melon. <laughs> I was like, no.
4: Mm-hmm. No.
2: <laughs> you know, and then bang, it came to me, you know, yeah. and then we kind of, you know, so there was all that kind of going on throughout the record as well. But um, Don't Break My Heart Twice was the, the biggest one where we were having the conversation with the song. Mm-hmm. Because at this stage I'd done all this, you know, sassy kind of rock and roll stuff. Yeah. And it was really getting me off. I was like, yeah, this yeah. is the record. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I it took me a lot of, um, I guess, it. I had to be a little bit more exposed and vulnerable because it's such an exposing lyrical song, even <laughs> though there's defiance in the lyrics because yep. it's like – I'm going to go there again, but don't mess oh, no, me up again. You know, you're drawing
1: boundaries. Yeah,
2: for sure. But I'm still giving someone else the power to kind of almost say, "You have the ability to mess me up again." You know, mm. it's like yeah. So it's this really fine line, and putting that into a ballad was it was really exposing for me. But we had spent all day on this one song, and we spent five days with the main band. You know,
4: mm-hmm.
2: like oh shit, okay, yeah. <laughs> this, this is the stumbling block, and um, we tried three different approaches and Bo just said, let's just go home, you know. And so he sent everyone home and he just went into this, you know, we were just hanging out. He went into the the, the main room, tracking room, and started playing on the piano. And he's like, Bex, get in here. And I just started singing it, you know. And I was like, okay, I'm going to have to have a ballad on my record. Yeah. You know, so we were really serving the songs, yeah. you know, yeah. and um, it really went to show that everyone's intuition and raw instinct was Totally intact Mm -hmm. in throughout the process, you know? Yeah.
0: So you mentioned Nikki Lane. How how did you come across Nikki?
2: Uh Nikki and I toured together in Australia in two thousand and fourteen. So thank my mate BT for putting us together and he did send me a note. He runs a, a touring company called Love Police. And he sent me a note going, This is this is going to be good, trust me. Oh sure. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, yeah, you're a smart guy, you know. <laughs> and uh we hit it off and and because I kept going back to Nashville like mm-hmm. I said, you know. Um, so I'm sorry, you
1: were still living in Australia. Yeah. In, okay. Yeah,
2: this was in 14 mm-hmm. and uh so um I'd still bump into Nikki and hang out with with her in Nashville when I'd visit and uh eventually uh we when I moved in 2016 we really hit it off. So um you know and it's just the bond just grows, you know, when you find someone that's your people.
1: Tell then- <laughs> t- tell us a little more about that About in Nashville finding as you say your people. Mm. Um and uh of course Nashville uh, Nashville's not totally bifurcated necessarily but certainly there's East Nashville. Sure. Uh, as much as there's Silver Lake Echo Park. Sure. I mean they're very similar. That's a, Los Angeles Nashville right now they're very interchangeable to me.
2: Believe yeah and and uh, you know silver lake in and this kind of area is the first time i've really been struck by la you know i'm like oh sure. shit i'm in trouble i really <laughs> like it you know,
1: you know? Like, no, I'm telling you, I, so many people just go back and forth right they go back and forth and it's it's just perfectly natural yeah i mean and again that flight <laughs> yeah. you know on flying the lax to bna you're gonna see someone you know yeah. or or so or you know I mean, it's it's maybe two degrees of separation at best. Yeah. Uh, There's always an acoustic guitar to uh, being put up overhead. <laughs> that was me. On that this was you. <laughs> um, so so um, other people that that you uh, came into contact with early in Nashville kind of helped you integrate there. Uh, can t- tell us about that.
2: Yeah, I mean, really it was Nicky. Actually, you know, Nicky's guitarist, Alex Mm -hmm. Minoz, he's actually from Spain. I met him in 2012, you know, when I first landed and he was working out of Alex the Great studio in in Berry Hill. Mm -hmm. And I was working, the two connected studios next to each other in Club Raw and uh i went back to nashville 3 months later uh september and i uh, i was the first person he played with in nashville like oh, he would just I gotten see. there and i was like you know returning all the time uh-huh. and you know things like that so when they came out to australia he was like oh shit i know you one know? person you know like <laughs> you're on the tour with us you know wow i'm in nikki lane's band and and i guess you know it's just a, a web from there you yeah. know and 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 so it grows. Same with all the Texas crew, you know. Yep. Through the gents, you know, you get to to meet a bunch of great artists because they work with a, with so great many. artists as mm. well, you know. So, um, and once you got kind of get to know, uh, great people in the East Nashville music scene because once you know a couple, then you start yeah. to really meet everyone, you know.
1: Yeah, you were one of a few actually
0: in the Rolling Stone recently, right? It, yeah, December Rolling Stone had oh, yeah. you listed as. Uh, let's see if we can find it here. Ten new country artists you need to know. Yeah. Which, it's awesome to get the advertisement from Rolling Stone, yeah. getting your name out there, but yeah. how comfortable are you with the country label?
2: Uh, not very comfortable at all. You know, just um, to put it really? bluntly. Yeah. 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 I mean, I don't know if you could call it so cruel a country. Well, art.
1: see, that's what, that's just country. We've talked about on the show before, mm, how country yeah. has always been kind of a big tent mm. genre. Mm. Um, whatever's happening... At large, musically or culturally, country has always been able to incorporate it somehow if you know if, when when you know rockabilly became a thing mm. it 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 incorporated that and when uh symphonic instruments were in the early sixties right. very easily, there was countrypolitan and you know even took it, it took hippies and Outlaws and said, "Yep, we can cover that too." And even the urban cowboy movement references disco in a, mm-hmm. in a big way. And of course, now we're hearing more and more hip hop involved in country music, which is <laughs> no, no, no. But 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 that's just a totally legit thing. For so, sure. You know, I mean, hip hop was played in suburban America yeah. starting in the '90s, yeah. And so it's it's just completely reasonable that that these men and women that are now adult artists are like, well, when do I get to rap? Yeah. And, and it, it was like, what do you mean? Was, like, I grew like fifty percent of my background is in rap. For sure, I've, I've been listening to these records. Oh, I okay, yeah. Well, I guess you can rap in the middle eight, I suppose. You know, I mean, it just it shouldn't be that much of a shock because country's always been able mm-hmm. to.
2: Yeah, part of my gas, but and, I just and, and, you know, and, I just don't know. I guess tags and labels are really hmm. the interesting thing of where it, and and totally valid everything that you say with you know, incorporating all the different influences depending on the era, which I guess is really relevant to, to the record as well because there's a lot of that grunge era mm-hmm. that I grew up through mm-hmm. that I'm yeah, like, well, right. when I do I get it. to do that? Which right. is exactly what I... So I get that. And there it know. is.
1: It was uh, uh, Shelby Lynn and her sister, uh, Alison Moore, yeah. they did a, a duet's record mm-hmm. uh, a year two, and they, they, did, they a, did a Nirvana cover. covered, covered right? a Nirvana song.
2: Yeah. Um, I, I just... I don't... I've never seen myself as a country artist, <laughs> right. you know? Yeah. And I just, like... Uh, I feel... The, the country the country music that I really love is, is quite traditional.
1: Mm-hmm. Starting you know? with, for example?
2: Well, back in the day when my when mum was listening to Dolly Parton, you know, okay. like that's country music to yeah. me. Like, uh, I guess, George Jones and mm-hmm. uh, Tammy Wynette, you know, right. like the country voices, mm-hmm. you yeah. know. It's, so it's, I guess there's certain people that are open to having the window open to all those influences and and sub you know genres but some people are purists i guess and and i'm it's not that i'm a nerd about country music it's just that for what i know that country music it's it's, it's quite pure you know Mm -hmm. right so i would call josh headley joshua headley who's just released mr jukebox i would call him a a pretty strict country artist right And,
1: and that's also the thing that's is timeless is there's always been a purist in country music oh yeah yeah at all times yeah and the what what's defined as pure has changed over that time too. So sure. As, sure as you know I'm sure Hank Williams was not pure country to somebody at that time. Sure. It's <laughs> Good <as point>. unbelievable. <laughs> Good point. And then cuz what I hear um for instance um the songwriting uh, and the arrangements remind me uh, I mentioned on the show when we first talked about this record I felt a lot of Tom Petty influence. Mm-hmm. And uh of course there's it's you know there's a song called Easy Way Out. So mm-hmm. I kind of thought oh was there was that a glancing to, uh, I won't back down. Um, but if Tom Petty were a brand new artist right now, mm-hmm. there's really not a proper, straight-up rock scene from through which he would break through. He would most likely break through as a country artist in 2018, which is okay. It's just, I
2: don't know if I would say that. I would say that he'd break through as a rock artist, you know, or a pop pop rock artist well, or a, something but, like but, that. You, if know. you
1: listen to modern rock and pop his tendencies aren't really being reflected there right now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, he would have to sit alongside Imagine Dragons Mm -hmm. and 21 Pilots. Mm -hmm. And I would say that his records would probably be a little more comfortable, at least in the Americana. At least in the Americana flag, you know, and I guess
2: that's like, that's,
1: and I think that's where like a body like Rolling Stone comes to to view a a record such as Don't Talk About It, Mm -hmm. where it's Mm -hmm. like, well, I could, we'd say the same thing about Jason Isbell, really. It's like, you know, We'll just listen. I was like, this this kind of feels much more just straight up rock to me. Yeah.
2: Especially when you see him live. Yeah. You yeah, know. precisely.
1: You're going to see him Saturday?
2: Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, hell yeah. yeah. Come on over. <laughs> I'm really excited.
1: <laughs> Ruby and I, we're both going to be at Stagecoach this, this Saturday. So mm. we're going to. And my boyfriend, Jason Isbell, is playing on our side. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, yeah, we'll you'll have out to, to text me and tell me all about it, James. I'll Dave. let his wife know that.
3: you said that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Amanda's the best. Last time I saw
1: Amanda, she was like out to hear with the baby. She hadn't even had the baby yet, so I'm excited to see them all. Yeah, but um, so uh, sorry to digress there. Um, so, uh, oh Lee Kernigan, Mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Lee Kernigan? yeah, like the biggest thing, country guy in, in Australia, Australian
3: country
2: music. Right. So uh-huh. I mean,
1: I, I, he's been around for a while. Oh yeah. So growing up in Australia, was that was, was that also like your notion of country music?
2: I didn't really. I wasn't really exposed to Australian country music growing up at all, apart from Slim Dusty. Slim Dusty. Yes, Slim Dusty was the only sign of country music, Funny. Australian country music, that I grew up with. But Mum listened to like a, the Beatles and Elvis and Dolly Parton in, and Buddy Holly in Cecily. So, Oh great! You know that's kind of what I was hearing very early age. Yeah.
1: Cool. I. I uh, the, the we so Lee. We did when we were in Australia for like three weeks. We we toured with Lee. And and the was it the Wolf Brothers had just won, like sort of like a kind of an American Idol version television show in Australia. The Wolf and they're from uh, Tasmania actually, mm-hmm. uh, and they were kind of incorporated into his band, and we had a blast. But but I had a whole education because I being from the states, I just didn't know much about yeah. Kornegian, much less the Wolf Brothers at the time. And they were just really brand new in the public eye and everything. So it was you know in parts of Australia at least, especially going up in, like Tamworth, Tamworth. And you, yeah. it like it starts to get very Texan, like after oh, yeah. a while, the topography, the gigs, everything. Guys, like, oh, okay, I'm feeling this now.
2: Yeah, yeah, I can that, see that's a, a real, uh, um, specific pocket of Australia <laughs> that that happens. You know, yeah, because no? very rural, and you know, mm-hmm. um, it is very much focused on Australian country music. But I didn't really know who the Wolf Brothers were till I think last year. Yeah, yeah. So I think maybe my uh, the, the kind of country music that i'm exposed to in australia is still you know i'm still catching up or i'm limited in that respect right yeah yeah.
1: right and then how often do you get back to australia
2: twice a year oh good yeah i was back there to, to, twice last year and I'm, I'm after california i'm going back there for some shows in may yes, so great yeah
0: now who's who's with you on tour right now who's in the band and who who are on the bills
2: Uh, It's a a rotating cast in the band, Mm -hmm. and um, I just hooked up with a couple of... did my language barrier just get me bad there? Do you no. hooked up as just like a? Oh no, we, no, we didn't. It's just a normal thing that you there. mean you caught up with people, right? <laughs> like,
1: I'm, I'm so out of fashion that I, good. I didn't even, I didn't even catch. I flew it. right past. yes us. Okay. Great.
2: Well, sometimes I just, I'm like, oh, is that, that, that br- one of the things that means something different Ruby here. Just
1: I just hooked up with two guys in LA, now, and we're like, yeah, good for you, Ruby. now that we brought complete attention to that.
2: <laughs> I, well, you know, I just want to clarify because. Because I, I mean, I was we were at uh, some beercade. Is that what you call them here? Like a, a bar and an arcade? I think. Well, that's what they called them in Chicago. I like the Coast, that. Anyway, I've never heard that. I- <laughs> and I was there with the label, and I posted on Instagram like a photo of us at the barcade. The day before and i said you know yesterday was family day it was great we all nailed each other at the barcade okay yeah
4: see that <laughs> and so and i think
2: hooked up has actually caught me by surprise as well so <laughs> i just but it's just that banter that naturally rolls off the tongue. that's like, very funny i do digress um so i uh luke and matt that's that's um and ben and matt excuse me uh are my two players tomorrow night i have ben. no and matt yeah that's, but ben, I think it's Jeff, Jeff, okay. Jeffy, like, Jeff, he's on guitar. And, so I'm kind of engaging some players in LA and then i got it change a band in Australia. From,
0: from city to city, are you bringing different players on board or?
2: It depends if I have to fly, Yeah. you know, yeah. I am I mean, I've got an Australian band out there, mm-hmm. and, but they're all really close long-term friends of mine. So, you know, so it'll vary between, you know, anything from flying in and, and having really great players that mm-hmm. can have, you just nail it, you know. Yeah, yeah. So.
0: Yeah, there's a, a couple of years ago, I think Bobby Whitlock from Derek and the Dominoes, he and his wife uh, Coco, they're they're based in Austin, but they and they never tour. They just play at the Saxon like every Saturday night, pretty much. But they went out on a tour uh, about a year or two back, just as a duo, as they've always played together. But they wanted to bring an electric guitarist into the mix. So for every city they were playing, they reached out on Facebook to find if anybody in that city would be interested to play with them. <laughs> communicated with them directly, met them that night, mm-hmm. maybe rehearsed a little bit, brought them on stage. So every night was, you knew what songs you were going to get and who was going to be fronting it, but there was going to be a flourish that you, there was going to be something different every night as far as, yeah, as that sound. It know, could work. That's interesting. It could work. It could work. Yeah. It could totally. Well, it did work. I guess it did. It did work. <laughs> <laughs> because they did it. So the, the first record came out through Lost Highway, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then the right. new record through Bloodshot Records. Great labels. You know what you're getting with both of these labels. Is that something that you were looking to secure for the new record? To be on a label that had a family that was a musical family that was definitely comfortable and familiar to you?
2: I was really aiming to have someone that was passionate about the record or mm. a label that was passionate about the record. And that is always going to come first for me. Mm. In the decision-making process, and that's what Bloodshot gave to me. You know, they were just also psyched about the record, and I was like, okay. And and it's just an it's a huge bonus that I love the label, and I have loved the label. You know, knowing that you know the first record I ever listened to by Ryan Adams was you know Heartbreaker. Yeah. Well, it was Political Scientist, but uh, you know, and then um, I I, I delved into Heartbreaker. You know, and, and. Realizing that they've been around for coming on twenty five years, mm-hmm. so you know it's it, it was all very much working in my favor. Yeah, because
0: you know? <laughs> there are people who just uh, completely trust everything a label does if they do it right. Mm-hmm. From the get go so mm-hmm. for me, like yep rock is a yeah a, a glorious label high tone records i I loved everything i mean so yeah if you if you put something out that that label knows that this is this is where you belong and there's others like it, and they push that forward mm-hmm. that it's just such a great feeling to be I would imagine to be in with that,
2: yeah, you know, I mean, it's definitely had. An effect in terms of people saying, oh, I saw it come out through Bloodshot, so I listened to it. Absolutely. So,
0: yeah, exactly. I
2: mean, America's a really big place to try and reach people in terms of fans. <laughs> sure. And coming yeah. from Australia, who I haven't worked in America for very long. Um, so having that that foot, foot in, you know, mm-hmm. is it's been really wonderful because they have a loyal fan base as a label, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, we trust them, like Dave's yeah. saying. Yeah. It's almost like, well, if they say so.
2: I think yeah. that's when I, when I <laughs> yeah. initially
0: told you about it. Uh, I think in the first, the same first sentence, it's on Bloodshot, yeah. it was, and so you know because that was a selling point. That would certainly, you know, what you're going to get. He knew what he was going to get out of it. Yeah, just by me telling mm-hmm. him. that.
2: And what an incredible achievement for a label to have yeah. that kind the of reputation. reputation. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just, I think, as a listener, I'm proud of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know?
1: Now, uh, uh, can we convince you to? I always feel a little shy about, like, especially in the morning, but. We'd be remiss if we didn't ask you to do a song.
2: I would love to do a you know, song. You don't mind? I have a guitar. Just, we just so and happen every... to <laughs> have a guitar here.
1: <laughs> okay, so here's a treat for all you jukebox graduates out there. This is Ruby Boots doing the song from her album, Don't Talk About It. The song's called I'll Make It Through.
3: Is that why I bleed? I know that you love me, baby Cause I aim to please I'll hold the door, baby If you're aiming to leave Even if it's tough, I ain't gonna fake it If it hurts, well, you know I can take it Well, honey, I'll break, I'll break this whole thing in two And even if the walls come tumbling down Well, you know I won't make a sound I'll lie here, dead on the ground Just hurting for you Leave me with the trouble I'll make it through. Love is a gamble. I took a chance on you. I'm more than you can handle, baby. Won't you tell me it's true? Lit up like a candle, baby. My heart burning. I'm bound to ramble, baby Ain't waiting round all a fool Even if it's tough, I ain't gonna fake it If it hurts, well, you know I can take it And if I can't, well, honey, I'll break I'll break this whole thing in two. Oh, and even if the walls come tumbling You know I won't make a sound I'll lie here dead on the ground Just hurting for you Oh, leave me with the trouble, baby I'll make it through It's a crying shame You treat me like you do Hearts are hard to tame Words have lost their truth And baby so have you Even if it's tough I ain't gonna fake it If it hurts well You know I can take it And if I can't Well, honey, I'll break, I'll break this whole thing in two. And even if the walls come tumbling down, well, you know I won't make a sound. I'll lie here dead on the ground, just hurting for you. Oh, leave me with the trouble. Trouble, baby, just like you do. Oh, leave me with the trouble, baby. I'll make it through.
1: All right, you box graduates, it's your new crush, Ruby Boots, singing I'll Make It Through from her new album. Don't talk about it on bloodshot records coming through ramp uh, distribution by <clears throat> the way. <laughs> I have a whole scroll of credits behind that one song. <laughs> um, so a song like that inspires the next question. Mm-hmm. Only reveal what you want. Okay. but how personal can a song be for you autobiographically and then and then how soon do you start covering up the tracks as you're writing?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you mean like the personal experience right. tracks it right, right, right. I'm dusting that trail off. Um, right. You know, I guess songs can be deeply personal for me, but also have that effect where I guess if they're personal, someone has the ability to say, yeah, me too. I've uh-huh. been through that too, you know. Right. Or, and thank you, you and know. thank you for
1: saying the thing thank that you I couldn't say. For saying
2: that, for saying the thing, and and I get scared about saying things that are very open and exposing as well as a human. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'm lucky as an artist to kind of feel like I have to do that. It, it, it's not right for everyone necessarily, but for mm-hmm. me, I feel like I have to do it because. Um. That's what I want. I want someone to turn around and go, yeah, me too. You know, not in everything. Are there but... times when
1: maybe just the song was the, the the best way or encourage you to be brave enough to say something you, you couldn't actually say in
2: conversation? Yeah, I think it's – it's it as the artist inside of me pushes the – you know, the – the, the thing to have as the outlet, you know, it's mm-hmm. like with the things that maybe I wouldn't not necessarily say, but maybe face up to, I guess, <laughs> you know, myself in, and, 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 it, you know, it's, it's like, well, I, you know, it comes out in my writing and that's lucky that I have that outlet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think not everything is a hundred percent truth. I mean, that's a pretty loose kind of scenario for any situation sure. if between someone and someone else, you know, but it's definitely inspired through personal Is there experience. anything
1: like topically or not necessarily personally, but even just topically or that you you'd like to get through in a song and is still it's still eluding you?
2: Um I think there's a lot and <laughs> I think I'm just <laughs> too scared to face up to it with it, <laughs> you know. <laughs>
1: many more records to make. Yeah, <laughs> you know.
2: And I think there's a lot of Stuff that um that has been part of my journey that I still haven't I've addressed personally, mm-hmm. but I haven't put into songs, you know, and um I don't know if I ever will, but maybe I I need to, mm-hmm. you know, I yeah I'm contemplating it now because I'm thinking about the next record, the next you know, so I'm like, oh, what do I have to say, you know? Well,
1: is <laughs> <and> then- <laughs> something? Waking up every morning, think. What do I have to say?
2: Yeah. And there's, there's, I guess there's always something to say if you're continuously growing as a person and, and within, you know, your community as well, not sure. just internally, like you're more aware of what's going on around you. Right. So there's, there's always something to say, but it's like, what do I want to say? You mm-hmm. know, and, and, and is that adding value to, the world Very and good. life you know because otherwise why am i i'm just making it out?
3: noise yeah, yeah you know
2: yeah. and it's like and you really need to be able to get behind what you've written you know
1: especially if everything goes well and it's a hit you'll sing it a million times yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and it's got to
2: hit you at like some part of your core you mm-hmm. know so um hopefully at the deepest part if that if you're writing from the right yeah, place you sure.
0: know? do you think that's going to turn into a batch of 40 songs again
2: Oh, I get scared at the thought.
0: <laughs>
4: <laughs> yes. I just
2: remember that nine months, thinking like, "You're a fraud. Can you do this?" You know, and it's like it's just constant mental ban- banter, and and then eventually you're like, "Oh, I did it. How did I do that?" <laughs> like, right, and you just got to keep going through all that that noise.
1: Well, yeah, I was. Think- it it did. One of the, I know, maybe the fifth time or so that I heard uh, "Don't Break My Heart Twice," I I don't know. Overwhelmed might be too strong a word, but I did. There was, I just felt like, what did it feel like when you wrote that chorus and landed on it, like when everything lands that well?
3: Take these tears from my eyes and love me till I'm dry. But don't mess it up this time.
2: Don't break my heart twice. Oh wow! Right. I, t- I tell you what, that, where that chorus was written, okay. it was literally like burst out of. I just had the words, you know, "Don't break my heart twice," yeah. and um, and it, I was literally just sitting around at the hotel room on the 2016 Waves tour, and I just wrote it like, just you know, and and I thought it was terrible for about. <laughs> For about a year.
1: Oh, you held on to it for a year? Oh, yeah.
2: I thought it was terrible, you know. And so, what? Oh, sorry. Sorry. That that? would have been. Sorry. It would have been about six months. Excuse me. And then by the time I'm thinking years, um, by the time I even recorded it, I was still doubting. So, yeah, about a year. But. it was one of those things where I was just like, "Well, I don't know if this is anything."
4: <laughs> wow.
2: Yeah. So it was just funny even to hear you say that to me. I, just, where the
4: <laughs> melody
1: lands, where the where, where, where that line lands, everything—it's just so right, and it just—and I remember thinking to myself, "Oh, it just must be a satisfying feeling to like, okay that's that's there. Yeah. Don't touch it.' Yeah. And, you know, or or at the or was it just meticulously done? <laughs> it could have been. I've heard you know, like the like uh, the Chris Isaac track, Wicked Game,' as organic as it sounds." Mm and as but it was really it took them forever to get that record and it's yeah there was early era drum programming and I mean it's really not the most organic recording process at all but the end product comes out like it sounds like everything's just a first thought and that's just how it has to be mm. in terms of that wasn't the case at all mm. and so thank you for not breaking my heart yeah. by revealing too, but, you know what,
2: I mean the <laughs> but lyrics it around it I mean the verses really were took a lot of toil you know yeah. um but, you know, the chorus just kind of was one of those mm-hmm. things that I had really been, I think it was just one of those, I have to get this Perfect. out. You know, it was a dealing mechanism. Oh,
0: congratulations. <laughs> Thank That's you. That's fantastic. Now, this is the part of the show that we have every time where we have our guests reveal their favorite Bill Murray story. <laughs>
2: and, and this... <laughs> I was like, is this the hard bit of the show? <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, it, 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 it will be now. Only because I know you've got a good one.
2: Uh-huh. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a story of Halloween 2015. Is that a good way to kick off a story? Yes, I'll feel put some like spooky sound so. effects
0: behind this. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, actually, I was with Nikki, and uh, we flew to Chicago, and she was like, come and sing Backups with me. I have an extra day off in Chicago. So we hung out, and we went and vintage picked, you know, as we do in our day off, and we were, the Cubs had won that night. They had lost this, oh, this the was during World the Series, series oh, in 2015. Wow. Okay, yeah, yeah. So they had lost the night that we played the show. Uh-oh. And we kind of were very scared to go out in the streets because sure. everyone, <laughs> you know. And then the following night, her and I had stayed in Chicago and and they won. And so then they I think they had to win three more after that. Or two more. I can't remember. Two but more. Two more, yeah. And, uh... And so we were at the airport and we were um, watching the game from the hotel room, you know. Safety. And safety could have <laughs> gone either way. And it was, it was when I was in Chicago, I was learning about all the superstitious kind of things around the oh, goat.
3: And,
1: yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Forgive us, the, the superstitions. <laughs> it was incredible.
2: <laughs> I loved it. I was lapping it up. You know, uh-huh. I didn't know anything about baseball.
3: Uh-huh.
2: And so... And I was watching the screen. I saw Eddie Vedder on the screen and, right. and Bill Murray and all these famous people. I was like, wow, baseball must be a really big sport. <laughs> you know, I follow a Australian Football League. Sure. You know, that's about it. But um, And so we were catching the plane to Nashville the next day and I, I said to Nikki, I was like, oh, is that Bill Murray over there? And she's like, yeah, let's go have a chat, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and so we went and just started chatting to him and he was – Surprisingly, uh, only had two people around him at that point, mm-hmm. and we were talking. And next thing you know, there was about fifty people around, like trying to strangle hold him for a selfie. It was uh-huh. so insane, <laughs> you know. I'm not sure if he enjoys it or not. I still haven't figured that bit out. <laughs> Hard you know? to say. I know, Uh like it's inevitable, right? So. Uh, anyway, he, we had already discovered that he was catching a connecting to flight to Charleston via Nashville. So I was like, great, I'll come with you guys. And then he got mobbed. And right. then he turned around to us and said, you know, like, do we have to leave? Is the plane leaving yet? And I was like, yep, we've got to go. Like, we're boarding. <laughs> we're late. So he, we were his scapegoats. Yes,
4: saved him. And
2: uh, he took us onto the plane with him. We, we, we walked on the moving sidewalks <laughs> backwards the three of us together it just felt like we were in a bill murray movie actually and uh what was the other kind of really funny thing that happened oh we got to the seats he's like well you guys choose where you want to seat and nikki's like i'll sit in the uh window seat and i was like i like the aisle and and he and nikki said well this is the best sandwich you've had in a while and he said well <laughs> I've eaten today, but I could eat again.
4: Ah, <laughs> good like, line. Yeah. I was
2: like, come on, this is definitely a movie. <laughs> and uh, we talked about baseball, and he asked us a lot about ourselves. And then he made us, made us, in inverted brackets, sit and have cheese and meat platters with him at the Nashville airport. So, Wonderful. <laughs> and that was how we ended our time with Bill Murray, so... There's
0: a there's a uh, photo I saw online where uh, it looks... Is he asleep? And you guys are kind of... We're all faking your, it. Head, okay. I, you know,
2: cat's out of the bag. It's a great image. <laughs> looks like you're just comfortably yeah, sleeping on the billow, shoulders of Bill Murray. We called it our billow. A billow. A billow. Okay, it. it was pretty cool. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. Yeah. The, yeah, the urban legends of, of Bill Murray stories are great, especially the really hard to pull. You know, there's stories of people just walking down the street in Manhattan and some and they'll just feel like a pair of hands cover their eyes.
2: Well, I haven't heard that free, one.
1: And then people will turn around and they'll see Bill Murray and he'll just say, no one will no believe
2: one you. No one will believe you. Yeah. I've heard the fry <laughs> one where he's come and stolen a fry. He's
1: like, a fry he's just like no one will
2: believe you. One, there was a
1: kickball game happening somewhere, I think in Central Park. <laughs> and he just started, he just got into the game and it was roughly around the time that people started, like, is this old dude, is that Bill Murray? Right around that moment, <laughs> yeah. he's gone. You know, and and, it's, and to do in an age of cell phones and you know, you know everything's a matter of record. Yeah. It's pretty impressive that he's able to create these kind of urban ghosts. myths and so, yeah, these ghosts so much wow. harder nowadays. I mean, we don't even hear about Bigfoot or aliens anymore. No. <laughs> no.
2: But it's Bill Murray. <laughs> yeah, Bill Murray, ends up being like this really kind of <laughs> mythical
0: creature. Next on In Search of <laughs> Yeah with Leonard <laughs> Boyd Nice reference. All right, well, I think we're gonna start wrapping it up here on the jukebox. Ruby has but- a gig tonight. That's right, at the Bootleg Theater. That's right. She's got to get out of here. And uh, and then, you know, like she said, she's going back to Australia for some shows in May. Yeah. And then you're coming back here to the States after, is that correct? Yeah, I
2: have shows late May all through middle of August. So. We'll certainly push those. Yeah, yeah. We'll, be, yeah. We'll, we'll
0: be promoting Hitting those, definitely. Road. Absolutely. Okay. Well, uh, the Jukebox graduate would like to thank Bloodshot Records for coordinating with us to get Ruby on today, as well as Amped Distribution, um, Satellite Amplifiers, Tomorrow Sounds Today, Check them out at satelliteamplifiers.com.
1: Also, we want to thank Shark Tank Recording Studios, Luke Adams, for having us here. Uh, and uh, you can find or follow them on Instagram at Shark Tank
0: Recording. Please do so. Okay, so Dave, do we have a contest? We do have a we're contest. We're giving our stuff away. I know, we're just giving stuff away left and right. But we had a, a trivia question last episode. Do you remember what it was, Gene? I re- you want me to ask it again? Well, what we're giving away is a CD copy of Strange Angels In Flight with Elmore James, and Elmore James tribute record. It's a tribute record to Elmore
1: James. And yes. then the trivia question I think I came up with on the spot was what Beatles song mentions Elmore James? Correct. And uh, the answer was, and still is, for you, blue, right? Correct. When yeah. John takes his uh, yes. his lap, still solo.
2: Elmore James got nothing on this, baby.
0: <laughs> so and so, we had some some listeners uh, that knew the answer. Yes, okay. we had several people uh, submit their answers, and we have picked a winner out of the hat. Congratulations, Mike Young. Yay, Mike Young. Good for you. We'll be reaching out to you. We'll get your contact info, and we'll get that out to you right away. Actually, Mike, I'm standing on your yard right now. (laughs) (laughs) Just step outside. Gene will hand you this. (laughs) Yeah, I've got it here. All right. So, The Jukebox Graduate is available on iTunes, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Overcast, and more. Of course, you can find us at www.thejukeboxgraduate.com. Also, head over to wherever you listen to The Jukebox Graduate. Uh, Rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show. That way you don't miss an episode. Let us know we exist. Yes. And all of our show notes will be there, links to various things, um, including Ruby's website and wear jeans on tour with Dwight, so forth. Uh, Also, check out our companion episode playlist on Spotify. The link will be on our homepage, where we include a song that ties in with... Any musical reference we make on this episode, it's
1: so, usually several hours so, long. And it's, if it's a kooky reference, you just get to dig into the episode, but I'm sure you hear a lot of Ruby Boots this yeah. time around. Uh, so, we, uh, so Ruby, we always wrap up with a song lyric, like something, just a, an inspirational song lyric, something that's been in our heads.
0: Okay. You go first, Dave. <laughs> okay. You take the money and I'll take the jewels. You crack the pot, but I got the tools. Don't worry about the cops. Got a getaway plan. Just tell them that you're with the band and I'll be your friendly neighborhood. Spider-Man. I'm Dave Rayburn.
1: The television man is crazy, saying we're juvenile delinquent wrecks. Man, I need a TV when I got T-Rex. I'm Eugene Edwards, and this has been the Jukebox Graduate.